Hi, everyone. It's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you with us as always. Uh, you're in for a real treat now. We're going to learn about some, some very interesting uh, legal tips from an expert. He is Peter Sahin from Velasco Law Group out of Los Angeles and also other offices within the Southern California area. And, and Peter's an expert. He's in the business of helping clients through the complex legal challenges of estate and succession planning. And we're going to talk about common legal problems you can save your family from with some smart planning. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Bill. Pleasure to be here. It, it's a real pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Um, and uh, we've talked offline, uh, and uh, you shared some great tips and ideas with me that I thought, you know, our listeners really need to know about this because, you know, when you when you start developing assets, when you build up a business, um, that becomes part of what's called your estate. And without doing some planning, there are some let's call them creditors and predators that could have their way with that estate if you don't protect it and things go wrong. So we're going to talk about those issues. But before we do, Peter, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background, how you got into the field of law, and what type of clients you typically work with. Yes, so I, I really came into the legal field uh, through my own family, you know, real estate um, uh, business, so to speak, and decided to get the law degree to kind of help out with really a, our own family business. But now I, I spend most of my time helping clients um, really avoid some of the lengthy courtroom drama that can happen when there's a, a death or an incapacity of a family member. So I'm a certified specialist in estate planning. I typically am working with clients on the planning side to avoid that sort of scenario and then helping them get through any issues like that. Um, after the fact, uh, try to uh, move things forward for everybody in the best way we can. Well, you know, that's all we can ask for is, is to have a professional on our side when we need we need you. And um, do you does your firm work with um, a lot of business owners? I know that in you have a Long Beach office that works with a lot of people um, that are um, business owners, right? Yes, that's most definitely a, a fairly large component of our clientele. I mean, uh, we work with a whole range of folks. Uh, sometimes 
they have you know your your traditional businesses with corporations LLCs uh, often you know a lot of real estate is common as well um, but we also do a lot of work you know for your everyday um, you know um, folks around uh, the neighborhood that you might know as well that maybe just you know have a more of a, a normal modest wealth um, accumulation situation but the same issues still need to be navigated, you know, regardless of what you have. With businesses, of course, there's a little more to it, and it becomes more critical to spend that time and get the right person involved for sure. And um, I'm sure you've been involved with, as I have, situations where people have died suddenly and own a business and didn't do their planning, or maybe they did. Maybe they had done their trust uh, planning but it has been a long time since they've done that planning. So uh, tell us what are some common avoidable after-death issues that you see with folks that have actually done some planning during life with a living trust? Yeah, I mean, a big one that I have really see a lot of recently that might draw people into wanting to take a look at their situation is, I come across a lot of trust administrations you know, post-death where the decedent has died, um, and most of their wealth is really in California real estate. Um, in many cases, you know, the, the wishes that they've outlined in their trust maybe, which is pretty common, uh, if they have multiple children, for example, would be for each of those children to really share in the property of their trust equally. Um, of course, living here as we do in Southern California, I often see that there's a lot of valuable real estate in that trust that might have been purchased, you know, by the parents or maybe even their grandparents of the receiving children a really long time ago. Um, so the issue or the planning opportunity in cases like this that frankly is rarely addressed in trusts um, that I see um, really relates to the real property tax reassessment options when a decedent owns, uh, owns property and passes away. So in California, um, for those listeners that don't know, you know we've got um, a situation where property that transfers by sale or inheritance to a new owner gets a new tax rate, you know, based on the current property values. And that's almost always going to be higher than what's reflected on the prior owner's tax, tax register because real estate's just always going up higher around here. Um, and this really has to do with our tax laws, which basically allow only incremental increases if the ownership doesn't transfer, but a common exception to that rule um, in the assessor's definition is that when property is passing from a parent to a child, that is really not considered a transfer in their eyes. So to take advantage of this and add flexibility in the trust, if a parent really knows, or I would say even suspects in advance that you know one of their children may be both willing and able to possibly buy out their other siblings, and you know, keep this family home that's been in the family rather than selling it, we can draft a buyout option in the trust. And without such an option, they're really looking at a lot of challenges to try and keep the entirety, you know, that child keeping the entirety of their parents' nice low property tax rate when the sibling wants to buy out their other siblings. Right. Um, because the you know the assessor's office is really going to view um, you know that buyout as a sibling to sibling transfer, which is not exempt. Um, so when we custom draft an option like this, 
It really allows the children to use funds from a, a new standard mortgage that they may get on the property or maybe their own personal savings or maybe a refi from their other side property that they own. Um, and then they can retain 100% of their prop parents' tax rates. Um, without a provision like this, basically you're looking at either losing thousands and thousands of property tax savings over a period of time or they're uh, going to be dependent on quite a bit of cooperation from the trustee and the other siblings to navigate, I would say, what's really a pretty complicated legal and also financial step series of transactions involving what, what amounts to a very high-interest, hard-money loan to, to pull it off. So, so let me back up just a second there. I, I get what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I want to make sure our listeners get it. So what you're saying is that let's say somebody bought their, their original house for, let's say, $100,000, and now it's worth a $1 million, and their, uh, their property taxes are, have been based on that 100000 plus some, a very small amount of increase, but the properties may be uh, uh, appreciated much, much more than that, which would cause, under normal circumstances, the, the child now to pay taxes on the million-dollar value on an annual basis, which is substantial, even though they may have just inherited the property, maybe free and clear, but their property taxes are going to go way up. So what you're saying is that with a special uh, uh, buyout provision, and this, and my my question is going to, going to come in a second, with that special buyout provision, they can retain the parents' tax basis, and then uh, I would imagine they can't re- they can't then pass it on in the next generation. You can't retain that forever, I would imagine, but maybe you're going to tell me differently. But my question is, does that have to be done outside of the trust between the parent and that particular child or children, or can that be done inside of the trust with this special provision? It, it actually should be in the trust. We would carve okay. out really an option right in here. And, and just for the listeners, the, the fact pattern I should say that you're really looking for to, to issue spot to see if maybe this, this should be in my trust would be, one, you've got more than one child. I mean, if you've just got one child, you, you know, all the property is going to go to them. You won't have this issue. Uh, two, you've probably got more real estate value than cash because let's just say you've got two children, but – you know, house is worth a million and you've got 1.2 in cash. Well, that's not really going to be an issue for you either because you can allocate enough cash to the one child if your trust reads 50-50 to my two children, you know. Um, so if you've got those two scenarios and you think, you know, one child may actually want to keep the property, putting a provision like this in the trust really makes it so much easier because they can just um, get an appraisal, agree to the buyout amounts, and, you know, if you've only got one house in your trust and no other cash, then the child can just get a new loan on it or they can use their own funds and then buy out their sibling. Meanwhile, they get 100% of the, the low tax rate versus uh, possibly only getting half, you know, for their uh, – because the assessor is going to see the trust that says 50-50 to each child. Each of you get half a property, so to speak, but then uh, without a provision like this, if you swap you know, and buy out your sibling, that transaction right there is what trips you up, and they're going to reassess half. This is a very interesting um, topic, uh, Peter. Uh, I'm sure uh, most of our listeners, if, a, if they've looked at a living trust, they glaze over by about the fourth page of probably a 40-page document. Uh, what particular area would they, should they be looking for or provision? Maybe there's a table of contents in the trust. 
um, what would this be called to, for them to identify and see? Maybe they can find that there is this provision, or maybe they realize it's lacking in their current trust or their parents' trust, I should say. Sure. Usually you're going to see it um, as a, a buyout option uh, titled provision, something of that nature. Um, it may also be named um, perhaps you know, a right of first refusal. Um, any of those sorts of terms are what you're really looking for. And in your experience, um, what percentage would you venture of trusts have this versus uh, don't have this, where they should have this, but, but they don't have it? Well, it's interesting because the Board of Equalization, which really rendered kind of a, a, an opinion on this and a rule within their, their, um, you know, their statutes, only really came down with it, I think, in 2013. So it's fairly new in terms of a planning strategy. Um, and I, I haven't seen any trusts other than ones that I've been reworking for folks lately uh, that have something like this. So in any event, if you have a trust that is dated before 2013, of course, many, many of our listeners did their trust planning a long time ago, thought they were all set, and they should have reviewed it anyways because there have been many changes in in estate planning overall, correct? There have, yes. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, going along with your estate planning package is often things like advanced health care directives and powers of attorney, and all of those rules have changed pretty drastically as well. So it's it's probably time for a review, and this would be a question to put into your review questions is, hey, should I have this buyout option or right of first refusal in my trust to to help my child uh, retain my my uh, my tax basis on on my residence or my property. Sounds Absolutely. like a no-brainer yeah. to me. So are, yeah. you're, you're giving us some great information here, Peter. Uh, is there a, another lesser-known trust drafting option that, that you wish more people were aware of? Sure. I mean, a lot of people maybe on the call may be aware of what are called AB trusts. Um, and, you know, we've had some changes in our tax laws for um, death taxes or estate taxes recently that have pushed up the limits and made you know, a lot more flexibility with couples that have trusts, you know, spouses. Um, one of the things that you see frequently, I see frequently, are a lot of couples, though, that have blended families, you know, where the, you've got a set of children from one spouse only. Um, now, from a planning perspective, almost all married couples typically do want to leave their collective marital assets for the surviving spouse's lifetime needs. But the issue with blended families you can have is balancing that goal with also protecting and securing you know, the ultimate inheritance for the children of the first spouse that passes, who may mm -hmm. not be the same children of the second. You know? um, now, if the trust allows the spouse with open-ended options, in other words, to redirect the distribution during their lifetime, when they're, uh, you know, to their own beneficiaries, for example, when they die, then, you know, and that's something that most revocable, fully revocable trusts do, there's a high likelihood those children of the first could be disinherited. So what we can sometimes do for clients that are in this situation is what we're drafting now is a hybrid, fully revocable trust for couples like this. So it's really merging together a couple of nice benefits. On the one hand, it stays revocable throughout both spouses' life. 
So what that means is when one spouse dies, it's very simplified for them. There's no valuations of their assets and businesses that are needed at that point in time, no extra tax filings you know, other than their normal IRS under their own social filings, um, very minimal attorney work as well. Um, but on the other hand, we include a binding provision that really restricts them from redirecting the balance of the trust assets when they die. Um, or I should say the deceased spouse is half, usually half uh, mm -hmm. of the balance, away from uh, who that spouse really wanted it to, uh, to go to when they first died. So it, it restricts them essentially from fully disinheriting um, you know, the, the first spouse's directions on that point. Yeah, and it's an interesting point. I have clients that had the AB trust back when it was a more of a necessity for estate tax exemption preservation when, when the exemptions were very low and uh, their, their, uh, their spouse died and they didn't really like the B trust because all of a sudden it was it created an inflexible situation. Not, you know, it's not, didn't prevent them from getting to the assets if they needed to, but it, it created a lot of administrative uh, night, nightmares for that, and so the question is: Well, how do we take care of those children of the of the spouse? And so here you have something called what is it, the hybrid fully revocable trust? Did I get yeah, that right? Yeah, that's what we call it. I've never really seen a, <laughs> a term for it, but that is what we're uh, internally at our office really referring to it as, and it's it's been popular and quite quite useful for a lot of a lot of couples. Well, what's coming out of this conversation is that the Velasco Law Group and Peter Sahin have ideas and, and strategies that are for today's um, couples that, that might be blended marriages, like you say, that have uh, children from previous marriages. There's only a few of those in California. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, and, and so you have one, one other tip for us today, and, and we're, we're running short because that was such an interesting segment about the, uh, the tax reassessment option. What, you know, when, when business owners and family members die, emotions run high, people get into disputes, what single decision is the most important for minimizing litigation when family harmony is unlikely following a death? Sure. I mean, since I litigate in this area, I see it on the back end a lot. But I think the, the single decision you really want to put a lot of energy into is who should be your successor trustees and you know, powers of attorney if you're incapacitated. So who should be really the, the finance, legal, and money manager of your trust? Uh, certainly mm -hmm. you die. You know, there's a lot of, uh, among families, there can be a lot of hardship and mistrust, jealousy, suspicion, all kinds of emotion when you put for example, one child in that role and the others are just going to put up a target on their back, essentially. So, you know, that, I'm not saying that isn't uh, wrong in all cases, but in some cases, if you can see a storm coming, you may be better off really putting a, a trusted professional fiduciary in place instead. Let them be the target. You know, they, they know how to handle it. They're going to also probably administer this trust a lot quicker and probably for a lot less money to avoid all that litigation, you know. So I mean, a lot, I've seen a lot of trusts that say, okay, if, if, if uh, I die, my spouse takes over. If we both die, then uh, a child or children could be successor trustees. And if they don't want to or they can't, 
then it would go to a professional trustee, uh, sometimes a trust company. But I think there's a lot of trust companies that have a lot coming at them they, they're not aware of. What you're saying is maybe bringing a trusted professional. Uh, would you would you say like a an accountant or an attorney or, or someone like that who could uh, be the be the referee in those situations and make decisions that's familiar with the family as a trusted advisor? Yeah, that would certainly be a good choice. I mean, uh, typically you want to go with somebody that has met with you and, and spoken with you and that you trust and you know that they're going to follow all your wishes and understand a little bit of your business when the time comes. It can be a CPA. Attorneys, there are some attorneys that are very good at this that do it for a living, but your traditional estate planning attorney that's doing like what I do wouldn't serve in this role just to avoid you know, um, being a, uh, you know, complicating kind of their position on things. But there are some really good uh, fiduciaries that are licensed, bonded, and, and you can find them also that are uh, on the Secretary of State's website as well. Attorneys, though, can do it without licensing on there, uh, on that site. Um, but meet may, with your may attorney I, does, really May I ask, ask does, the, does Velasco Law take on this responsibility if, if requested by clients? No, we do not typically. I mean, okay. some of us do for our own family, but we would help you to mm -hmm. find a really good fit based on okay. your location and, and your situation and, and make sure that you meet with them and like them before you put them in place. So, it, so it's a good idea. You know, don't don't engage in it. It's not a time for amateur hour. These things can get very heated, and you need somebody who can really interpret the 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 documents that have been put forth as kind of the rule book for what should happen. It's great advice. And Peter, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time today, but you've given us such great uh, tips and ideas that, you know, things that I have not heard yet, and I really appreciate you coming on. Tell us how best to get in touch with you if someone had a question or they wanted to find out more about the uh, Velasco Law Group. Yeah, you can absolutely call our main office line, and uh, we'll have a complimentary um, hour-long consultation on whether it's estate planning or anything else in the estate and trust arena. It's 562-432-5541. Uh, we've got an office in downtown Long Beach, in Downey, and also in Irvine. You can also find us on our website, which is www velasco v-e-l-a-s-c-o lawgroup.com and my email is simply peter at velasco lawgroup.com fantastic information and we, we got, i got to have you back sometime because I, we just scratched the surface of some of these ideas but <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it and i really appreciate you coming on and sharing your 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 great wisdom with our our listeners today peter thank you so much it was a pleasure bill thank you for having me Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.